Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com. That's Alienware.com slash deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide are you ready to move your career forward make your comeback with purdue global and get college credit for your work school life or military experiences with these credits you may have already completed up to 75 percent of your undergraduate degree you've worked hard to get where you are it's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of one that employers will trust and respect when you take the next step in your life and career make it count with purdue global purdue's online university for working adults start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu from UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noah. They call me Ben, and you are you that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. The gang's all here. The gang is all here. Uh, and we're talking about something that a lot of people have some very passionate opinions on. Yes, and this is that old disclaimer that we make in front of every uh, podcast that has to do with anything religious or uh, belief system that is held tightly. And that is that we are not telling you what to believe. Your beliefs uh, are your own. Yes. There will be no poo-pooing of faith. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Every single person has a right to their own personal spiritual beliefs. To posit otherwise would be at the very least not well thought out. Correct. And it's kind of an, an, an anathema to what we do overall. We're not here to tell you what's what. We're here to look at some sides of issues and present it all. As fairly and balancedly, is that a word? As yeah, possibly. balancedly. Yeah, yep. yeah. Just American English, everything's a word. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So, so what we're going to do is examine the history of uh, one particular religion, look at some you know, sides to it that maybe aren't uh, explored very often in your daily ongoings. Yeah, it's very important. We're looking at this from an historical academic perspective. We want to give a shout out to a friend of the show, longtime listener, Henry H., who uh, gave us this idea. You might remember him uh, from our previous episode on the FBI and counterculture. And our whole disclaimer thing, basically, I feel like we're, what we're always implying is Scientologists in the audience. Oh, man, we left yeah. out a disclaimer on that last episode, though. It should have said, don't do drugs. I know. Oh, speaking of, right. Speaking of, <laughs> yes. uh, everyone listening, uh, we discourage you from doing drugs uh, outrightly. We cannot legally tell you that drugs are cool. Most importantly, though, 
we were joking when we said we were on drugs doing that podcast. Oh, yeah, that, that was, is very true. That was a joke based on – and I know you guys probably know this, but we, I just we feel said like we have to say – we just have to say it again. We were sleep-deprived, me less so than these fellas, but we were playing off of that sleep-deprived vibe and – Riding that like a crazy snake to Valhalla. And it, yeah. I, I hope everyone was aware of that. Uh, if mm-hmm. not, and you thought we were dosing up in the studio, uh, I'm here to tell you otherwise. And we, uh, we appreciate all the emails we got. Uh, we had several people write in and say, Hey, just be sleep deprived all the time. <laughs> but Noel did a great job editing because the, the raw form had some. That cutting room floor was brutal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Slippery. (laughs) So here we are. Religion. The big R. The earliest evidence of religious ideas dates back hundreds of thousands of years, all the way back to what is commonly called the Middle and Lower Paleolithic periods. And just for some perspective here, the average creature qualifying as human during this time would probably disturb you if you just saw them walking on the street today. You at least wouldn't recognize them as human. Well, even if they were wearing, you know, the clothes that you yourself were wearing, uh, you would, you would notice some obvious, obvious differences. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to get too, too caught up in this, but we did an episode on what are called the like lost races of humanity, such as Denisovans, Mm -hmm. uh, looking at differences between Homo erectus. And Homo sapiens, mm-hmm. Neanderthal, mm-hmm. and uh, Homo florensis. Yep, the, are those the little? Uh huh. Yeah, the, the uh, little skeletons that have been found mm-hmm. on on a, just a very small patch of the world. And the current the current debate is whether it was a true speciation of some sort, or mm-hmm. whether it was just a community condition, for lack sure. of a better word. So do check that out if you haven't checked it out uh, before, and. There's another, there's another thing that's really interesting. You can hear, uh, you can hear our colleague and occasional guest on the show, Joe McCormick, who works over at Stuff to Blow Your Mind, uh, when he and his co-host, uh, Robert Lamb did an episode on what is called the bicameral mind. This is crazy. There's this theory that for part of human civilization, people were not self-aware the way you are now. Mm-hmm. Like if you're listening to this, you're thinking in your head, maybe I am listening to this, right? Yes. Just, just thought that sentence, right? And then the words that you hear are translated into your own thoughts. Yeah. Like an internal monologue. I usually just see them visually as like letters in a cartoon spelled out in the sky, you know? Is yeah. that Whoa. weird? Is that? No, I, I think it makes sense. You got the, you got the word balloons. That's, I think I, I, think I might be working with a tricameral mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So what happens is the idea is that instead, in the distant past of civilization, instead of hearing a voice in your head and thinking, that's my internal dialogue, that's my internal dialogue, these early people would hear a voice and they would think, holy crap, somebody's talking to me, who, who is that in my head, uh, 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 what are you, uh, wh- why are you, are you there, what, uh, yeah. are you there, God, it's me, Kragnar, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, uh, and one piece of evidence for folks who believe this uh, is the dramatically different writing style of the Iliad. In the Iliad, uh, classical scholars amongst us will remember, uh, it was written somewhere between 800 and 725 B.C. or B.C.E., whatever your favorite flavor is. Mm-hmm. Uh, characters just sort of do things, you know, uh, and their motivations for a large part of this story are kind of not – Present, just something happens. Yeah. Things just happen. And since we know Greek culture very quickly became a literature of consciousness, uh, the Iliad is sometimes seen as a great turning point, a tipping point. Shout out to Mal- Malcolm Gladwell, uh, and a window back into what they call the unsubjective times. And every kingdom was a theocracy, and every man was the slave of voices heard whenever novel situations occur. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. And religion may, might also uh, predate humanity, depending on how you define religion. Right. So higher order mammals like uh, cetaceans, a new word, fancy word for dolphins and uh, uh, whales that I just learned. Um, elephants, canines, they all recognize the difference between a, a living thing 
and a corpse. Hopefully you can as well. Uh, millennia before Homo sapiens existed, um, its predecessors and parallels practiced some form of ancestral recognition, which is an understanding that the body was nothing but a vessel for the mind or an idea. Um, and then archaeologists refer to apparent intentional burials of early Homo sapiens from as early as 300,000 years ago as evidence of religious beliefs, which makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. They realize that something was there. There is a ritual going on. Yeah. And then it's not. And the ritual occurs. Other evidence of religious ideas include symbolic artifacts from the Middle uh, Middle Stone Age sites in Africa. But, of course, it's kind of tricky to interpret this, you know, I even even in the the best case scenario, there's room for interpretation, which is going to be important as we explore this. Archaeological evidence from more recent periods is less controversial. Number of artifacts from the Upper Paleolithic are generally interpreted by scientists as representing religious ideas, meaning in general, a bunch of really smart people who have spent their lives figuring out what this stone shard means, all got on the same page and said, you know, cool, they knew he was dead and they did a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I suppose you could also argue that with enough experience, you know, you might realize that a dead thing starts to be gross and we should probably just get it out of sight and out of mind or it makes you sad. So you don't want to look at it anymore. So let's Ooh. bury it in the hole in the ground. Just devil's advocating. Here. Yeah, that's a very, I, you know, that's a very good idea because, uh, you know, many animals, if a member of their peer group or their mate or their uh, offspring dies, they just leave and just like, eh, all right, next. Yeah, but I like it here. <laughs> I don't want to have to look at dead rotting grandma for the rest of you know until for the foreseeable future. Let's let's get her out of let's bury her in this uh, pit. Ah. Uh. Yeah, there are Sorry, people who morbid, no, there there are people who keep uh, keep the remains of their loved ones. I mean, Faulkner has a great story about it, but of course, spoilers, just in case for a hundred year old story. <laughs> yeah, man, always. Well, uh, okay, so spoiler trolls. <laughs> so we talk about these. Let's let's talk about like examples of things that are clearly agreed to be religious. The Venus figurines uh, are, you know, a, a rather voluptuous, mm -hmm. often headless figure, right? Certainly looks headless, uh, all of the examples that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And there are elaborate burial rituals around the world. There are cave paintings. But where did this all come from? That's today's question. What prompted early humanity or its close predecessors and parallels, as Noel said, to ascribe occurrences in the physical world to the whims and the systems of something unseeable? Is it drugs? Maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. What connected the either the bicameral mind, what connected the parts of the brain that were previously not mm -hmm. connected? Or, you know, was it just an evolutionary thing or was it a chemical? Yeah. Or was it a social thing? Uh, it's essentially, we're not sure. Like we as a species are, are kind of still tossing this one around, spitballing. But there's theories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's theories. Uh, let's call one we had to do it. H A D D. Oh. oh, it's not. It's not funny for you guys yet because you're listening and you don't. It's funnier if you read it. This is a theory that was put forth by Kelly James Clark. He's a senior research fellow at Kaufman Interfaith Institute at Grand Valley State University in Michigan. Ooh, that is a mouthful. That's a lot. Um, so he believes that humans on the Serengeti who, quote, survived to procreate were those who had developed what evolutionary scientists call a hypersensitive agency-detecting device, or HAD, H-A-D-D. <laughs> the pun. The yeah, it comes, oh, see, comes around. Right? It comes see? around. Fourth-dimensional pun. Guys. Oh, so in basic terms, in plain terms, this meant that people who were more likely to survive and reproduce, reproduce, and pass on their experiences as well as their genes were people who perceived that many other things in the world, external things, have agency. And what we mean by that is the ability to act of their own accord. I have agency. Other things have agency. Like, like what else? What would have agency? Uh, animals walking around might be the, one of the first things you notice. Mm -hmm. Secret agents. Other humans. <laughs> 
secret agent. To be fair, he didn't say human secret agent. <laughs> I know, you did. You never know. Could have been like, like Perry the Platypus on Phineas and Ferb. He's a secret agent with agency who is also a platypus. <laughs> Gotta tell you, I don't know what that is. What is Phineas and Ferb? It's a great show. It's like a kid's show, but adults like it too. Ah, all right. Kind of like an adventure time thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a Disney show, but it's actually very clever. It's very well written. Looking into it. Do it. While you're looking into it, you'll, you'll notice that this, this had, H-A-D-D, this understanding of how the world worked facilitated this rapid decision-making process that people had to go through when they, for instance, heard a rustling in the grass. So, yeah, perfect. So not so much stopping to reflect on the transience of life as going, holy smokes, lions do what they want. I better run. <laughs> I love that picture of the some of the first humans understanding that that lion can come over here and attack me at any time. Not just, oh, there's a lion dead. Not just the grass moves, but the grass moves because, because. something. Yep. Yeah, because. So that's the kicker, right? In addition to helping humans make rational decisions, survival-based decisions, had may have planted the seeds for what we know as religious thought. Is it sort of like object permanence where it's sort of like, you know, that thing will always behave in that way or that thing is only behaving this way at this moment that I'm mm -hmm. observing it. It's just so sort of like um, that if a tree falls in the forest and you're not around, does it make a sound? Or it's like if that if my mom is there behind that bush, is she really not there at all? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those are important distinctions. Point. That's all I'm saying. Like, well, those are things that we come to psychologically as we grow older but it's important what we're talking about, yeah. you know, in terms of evolution to make those distinctions that allow us to actually learn from our mistakes. And it's absolutely crucial. And it's one of those early developmental milestones, right? Like um, yeah. when when your children are growing up, there are really sensitive times in the early years when all of a sudden they have that eureka moment yeah, and dude. you see it happen. Yeah, I've seen it firsthand uh, recently with my kids, especially with mirrors. Uh, little things like that. We don't have to go into it. Anyway, it's cool. <laughs> but mirrors are weird still. Yeah. Uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So it wasn't just animals and other things moving around that they ascribed agency to. Right. Uh, yeah. They also ascribed it to things. Sure. These raindrops now are falling on purpose. On drop tops. <laughs> but but yeah things that absolutely don't have agency like drop tops i don't know the first human yeah, you, you got to make the, the the top drop the yeah top drop, don't drop on its own drop top you got to apply something agency drops to the top though right yes. right yeah so when that rain falls like something dropped that rain what mm -hmm. was it yeah like creation demands a creator yeah exactly i mean we're sitting in this room right now recording this and wait some Someone is going to cut to an ad break. It's me. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places and we're back, but who was it? it was it was me it was definitely oh, me. yeah, he says it was I gotta uh, believe it yeah, you don't see it happen that's the magic of podcasting <laughs> that, that part happens away from your prying eyes in the same way that some sort of prime mover creator deity drops the drops on the tops what drop. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but where does the drop ultimately drop? Here's another theory about religion. What if instead of a, a single individual um, adaptation or Shyamalan mm-hmm. plot twist in the story of humanity, what if it's not just a, a, a story about Things that apply to individuals reproducing. What if religion is more of a group adaptation? Ooh, I could go along with that. This is an idea by Robin Dunbar, an evolutionary psychologist and anthropologist at the University of Oxford in the UK. His work focuses mostly on the behavior of primates, including, you know, things like baboons. Why does he sound familiar to me? Uh, I think you know. No, I don't. He is the famous proponent of something called Dunbar's Number. Ah, you made a video on this. Yes, and we talked about this on the show, Mm -hmm. too. And it's the idea that the human brain is physiologically limited. Think about, um, for anyone who works with computers extensively, think about the physiological hardware limits of a computer. There's some software it can't run. There are some things that it doesn't have enough memory to store, right? We run into this often, as you can imagine. <laughs> Daily. <laughs> what was his number? Is it 100-something? It was uh, 214-653-9999. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, I, yes, you're right. I think it's, yeah, 18888. You know what? Just keep hitting eight. It was a, it was 150, maybe? 150, 150 humans? 150 Yeah, humans that you can ever really maintain a relationship with. Anyway. Or, or C as a peer. Yes, yes. And then after, C as, you know, the way that you see your friends, you understand that they are the main characters of their own story, and no matter how close you are, you are a cameo. You are a secondary character in everybody else's story. And after that number, your brain is just incapable of understanding that those other people past that, like number 347 that you meet, is just the thing that takes the garbage out or the, mm. the, the thing that walks by you on the way to the bus every morning. The thing know? that runs the Justice Department. Right. The thing that you vote for. Ooh. You know? It's a scary idea. Yeah, it is. But Dunbar also applies this thinking uh, to religion um, in that he says that religion may have actually evolved as what he calls a group level adaptation, which we mentioned before. Religion being a, quote, kind of glue that holds society together. Um, we've also heard it is uh, referred to as the opiate of the masses, a similar yet antithetical notion to that in an interesting way. Yeah, perfect, because it is like that's religion an ideology, a value system is a way for number 347 to have something in common with you, you know? Yeah. Now it's not just the thing in the justice department or the thing that cooks the food. 
It's also the thing that, that believes what I believe. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And there's one more theory. It is one of the most controversial theories. Do we need another disclaimer? Whew. Um, if you, if you're feeling uncomfortable at this point, stick your fingers in your ears. No. <laughs> yes, do that. And then also rewind back to that part where we had a disclaimer and then come back here. Just to reassure yourself. Here's the question. What if the original inspiration for some of the world's most influential religions was ultimately not evolution, but hallucinogens? Whoa. That's right. Magic mushrooms. Psilocybin. Simple Simon. Have we already said psilocybin? Let's say it again. S- I think that's where simple Simon comes from because it kind of sounds like psilocybin. Yeah, it's a homonym. How about those Mario make big bites? God's flesh. Did you make that last one up? I don't know. That, is that in the vernacular? It's a mushroom, okay? It is now. I love mushrooms. And when now Mario, when I say that, I mean I love delicious mushrooms. Like portobellos. Portobellos. You know, yeah. Shiitakes. Shiitakes. Uh, trumpeters. The weird ones. The mm-hmm. weird bulbous looking ones. But as we know, when you grow them a certain way, certain species, they can make you they get a little funny. Make you think. Make you feel a little funny. Think a little funny. See things a little differently. Here's where it gets crazy. In his book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, an author named John Marco Allegro argues that, quote, our present concern is to show that Judaism and Christianity are cultic expressions of an endless pursuit by man to discover instant power and knowledge. Granted, the first proposition that the vital forces of nature are controlled by an extraterrestrial intelligence, these religions are logical developments from older, cruder fertility cults. With the advance of technical proficiencies, the aim of religious ritual became less to influence the weather and the crops than to attain wisdom and the knowledge of the future. Essentially, his argument is that modern religions, especially the Abrahamic ones, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, uh, Islam to a degree, sprang from these ancient fertility cults. I got to pause really fast here and just point out that I've never thought in my head about a religion as focusing on an extraterrestrial intelligence as uh, an uh, an intelligence that is not on earth or of earth mm-hmm. even yeah when you say it that way isn't that what like all religion is yeah it is it is but i've never i've never used it i've never used the phrase extraterrestrial intelligence in that manner of thinking about what God could be or is. Extraterrestrial has become very specific in our time, yeah. or at least in our version of this language. You it's know? become this kind of like, there's like hokum surrounding it to the point where you can't use it in a way that people don't sort of like turn their noses up at in a way. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like not all people, obviously the people listening to the show and we are, you know, into the, that, those explorations, but the term extraterrestrial, which when it really just means not of this earth has become sort of a buzz phrase that has negative connotations in terms of like its use and veracity. But I think it's totally applicable to what God is, to what religion is, to what these deities actually are. They're totally extraterrestrials. In, in many ways, um, in, in many ways, people, regardless of their particular religion, would say this is something beyond us, in t- to some degree incomprehensible or darn difficult to comprehend. Allegro goes on and he argues that these ancient cults had knowledge of psychoactive drugs and plant form, but they prevented this knowledge from becoming too widespread. They were the shaman. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were the priests. And the quote is, quote, these were the drug herbs, the science of whose cultivation and use had been accumulated over centuries of observation and dangerous experiment. Those who had this secret wisdom of the plants were the chosen of their God. To them alone had he vouchsafed the privilege of access to the heavenly throne. And if he was jealous of his power, no less were those who served him in the cultic mysteries. Theirs was no gospel to be shouted from the rooftops. Paradise was for none but the favored few. The incantations and rites by which they conjured forth their drug plants and the details of the bodily and mental preparations undergone before they could ingest their god were the secrets of the cult to which none but the initiate bound by fearful oaths had access. That reminds me of ayahuasca rituals. Mm-hmm. The like the, takes it's a laborious thing right. to create this substance that will take you on this spiritual trip. 
and this and the the ritual of ingestion is as important as the substance itself. Yes. In times of war, though, a widespread social disruption, something happened. This these um, orally transmitted mysteries uh, became difficult to transmit. Right? People were dying. People were being imprisoned, enslaved, slaughtered, and mass. So the priests had to write this knowledge down. And Allegro's idea is that they wrote it down in an esoteric or coded form that only another priest, only another initiate would recognize. And be able to translate, essentially, Mm -hmm. if you're going to teach someone else about this. And uh, Allegro argues that the specific instance where this occurred, the turning point, was the Jewish revolt of 66, AD 66. And we have a quote on that one, too. Instigated probably by members of the cult, swayed by their drug-induced madness to believe God and called them to master the world in his name. They provoked the mighty power of Rome to swift and terrible action. Jerusalem was ravaged, her temple destroyed, Judaism was disrupted, and her people driven to seek refuge with communities already established around the Mediterranean coastlands. The mystery cults found themselves without a central fount of authority, with many of their priests killed in the abortive rebellion or driven into the desert. The secrets, if they were not to be lost forever, had to be committed to writing, and if found, the documents must give nothing away or betray those who had dared defy the Roman authorities. So this need for coded communication about the use of sacred plants and the performance of sacred rituals then, again, we cannot emphasize this enough, according to this author, according yeah. to Allegro, it led to the creation of a rabbi named Jesus. To tell the story of a rabbi called Jesus and invest him with the power and names of this magic drug, to have him live before the terrible events that had disrupted their lives, to preach a love between men extending even to the hated Romans, thus Reading such a tale, should it fall into Roman hands, even their mortal enemies might be deceived and not probe farther into the activities of the cells of the mystery cults within their territories. Oh, it sounds so cool. It's a grand conspiracy. And this guy Allegro acknowledges that his subterfuge failed, uh, as evidenced by the majority of Christians who believe Jesus Christ was an historical figure, not a metaphor for a psychoactive drug in some sort of mystery religion. But what drug was it, you might wonder? We have one last quote. Above all, they forgot or purged from the cult in their memories the one supreme secret on which their whole religious and ecstatic experience depended. The names and identity of the source of the drug, the key to heaven, the sacred mushroom, the fungus recognized today as the Amanita muscaria, or the fly agaric. So, let's take a moment, guys. What do you think? You want to do some pros and cons? Sounds like all pros to me. Speaking of all pros, his argument hinges on pros, or more specifically, etymology. O-S-E? Yeah, we're we're uh, we're getting weird with the puns today. Uh, it relates the development of language to the development of myths and religions and cultic practices. So, for example, he relates mushrooms to fertility or experience of the divine. So he's connecting it to the phrase "son of God." He's arguing that since uh, he's tracing this back to fertility cults, he's arguing that the mushroom by being an encounter with the divine was seen as, you know, the offspring of God. And in some ways it might be seen as like a a reproductive fluid. In other ways it might be seen as the flesh of this, of this extraterrestrial divine creature. He believes ancient evidence about the other phrases used to refer to this stuff will bear out the argument. And he, he does acknowledge that it's largely concerned with words and titles. And he believes that only when we discover the nomenclature of this sacred fungus within and without the cult can we begin to understand its function and the theology behind it. So, you know, this leads into naturally the concept of eat of my flesh. He also talks about the visual similarities between uh, iconic depictions of the crucifixion and the shape of a mushroom. 
I feel like that's kind of a stretch, but I mean, I get it. And lest we not forget that a, a mushroom does bear some resemblance to a, a phallus. Oh, Male reproductive the, organ. Phallus, on a... phallus in Wonderland. <laughs> uh, gotta say, specifically circumcised in most mushroom cases. Lewis Carroll is such a creep. I just want to put that out there. He's a creep. Did you know that part of his diary pages were torn out and destroyed on his death? Because they were that. It was too hot for TV. We'll never know. There's also the idea of manna from heaven being the, the bread of life that comes from God himself, itself. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's something that mystifies a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. growing up with a belief system. A lot of people, you know, think that manna is something on a tree, like an apple. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a, um, uh, other fruit. <laughs> Norwich? Sure. Yes. Pomegranate. Pomegranate. Good save. Wasn't it like a, like the way you regained health in the Final Fantasy games? Wasn't that m- mana? I think I, so. It was definitely magic in Skyrim. In most RPGs and games I play, mana is, yeah, your magic power. Which comes from this. I mean, it's this idea that it's sort of a replenishing spiritual force that it, it can be squandered and regained or it sort of feeds your spiritual life force in some way in magic the gathering you have to tap your mana and make use of all the land that you control to cast spells oh boy boy. (laughs) more of a pokemon guy mtg for life (laughs) no i'm kidding i actually want to get into that i've I've recently with the kid she's finally got the attention span for games like that and i'm i'm the one who just wants to force her into it because i want to do it i need someone to play with Mm. so we've been playing pokemon but i'm gonna try to graduate her yes magic the gathering oh my gosh tyler's Oh, okay. You guys don't know who Tyler is. He's another producer here. His kid is like getting hard on the paint and with the Pokemon cards, and both of us are just banking that he's going to be ready to play Magic with us soon. Isn't it really expensive? Yeah. <laughs> is it though? I mean, we, we have like be. we have like three decks, and you know, I bought a couple of booster packs, but our decks are pretty well matched. I think what happens is you get tired of seeing the same cards over and over again, or you need to like fit your trick your deck out so that you uh you know can defeat someone that has a super tricked out deck. But we digress. <laughs> <laughs> and we progress as well. So the, uh, the, the weird thing is, all right, we know we are fully conscious of the fact that this sounds like maybe confirmation bias. Maybe this guy just really wants to see it. Uh, but there are numerous paintings of religious, uh, moments. In mm-hmm. the Old Testament or the New Testament, they clearly depict mushrooms. There's a 13th century uh, chapel in France. Uh, in there, there's a clear depiction of Adam and Eve, and they're next to a tree. It's very Garden of Eden, but the tree is made out of Amanita muscaria mushrooms. Whoa. And the serpent's coiling around the tree. It seems weird, right, that yeah. this would be the most – Arguably, the, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? Yeah, the when Adam and Eve betrayed God, ate the fruit that it was like the only thing you're not supposed to do up here. So good though that fruit. Well, apparently it was, it's and that fruit. there, are, you know, there are a lot of beliefs that the fruit itself was knowledge of like what I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I am Eve. Have you ever oh. tasted pure knowledge? No, it's that fruit. <laughs> well, in this case, what if it was the key that the key that unlocked all of the mysteries? Now that's good. I like that, especially compared to those quotes we were reading earlier. I mean, ingesting something, you know, like it, whether it's a metaphor or a stand in for like enlightenment. Mm-hmm. But the idea that maybe it's not maybe it's an actual substance. Well, yeah, it's it again. I go back to the invisibles because, Ben, thank you again for introducing me to that. But the. There's a substance in there, right, that allows access to a higher level of some sort, and it, and it's some kind of hallucinogen. It's like, like a that slime scene where the guy likes uh, the the homeless guy who kind of takes him on his like, kid, yeah. kid. He like smokes something, and then all yeah. of a sudden they're like through the looking glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, this idea is you know um, this idea exists mm-hmm. on several different levels, metaphorical, literal. As you can see, 
It's open to interpretation, which brings us to some of the cons. Not furry con, not dragon con, not comic con. So many cons. I Yeah, so many cons. In this case, one big con is that all major scholars rejected Allegro's idea. And this guy's a legit, uh, a legit scholar. His mentor was like, man, what are you doing, buddy? And the publisher who published it was like, ah, we shouldn't have gotten involved. So the full text is available online. The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. You can read it. Uh, you can read it online. It has its own internal argument, its own internal logic, rather, but it makes certain jumps, assumptions that leave room for criticism and invalidation. Just like uh, the guy who wrote Chariots of the Gods, Eric Von Daniken, it's easy for people to see what they want to see when they look at ancient writing and ruins. That's why, you know, in the beginning of the show, we talked about how even the most well-read, erudite people will disagree on the purpose or the intention behind an ancient thing that they found, the flotsam and jetsam of the world. Because many times there's not a another human or a piece of writing that will will come out and give you a definitive answer. So ultimately, like a lot of things, you're left with your own interpretation or the interpretation of somebody who's studied it for a long time. But, 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 this is a big but, it is certainly true that many religions have had relationships with psychoactive substances. Oh, yes. And we will wade into those psychedelic waters when we get back from this. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's kid-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected, or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. I feel like out of so many shows that we've done, 
this would be the one where we would just inexplicably pause for a psychedelic guitar riff. There we go. You're tuned in to stuff they don't want you to know. Just just keep looping that hole in the edit. <laughs> so so we've got some examples of different hallucinogens playing a role in different religions, not just uh, not just in the Abrahamic stuff that Allegro is talking about, but around the world. In Book 9 of the classic Hindu text of the Rig Veda, this pressed juice called Soma is mentioned as something that was drunk by priests. And uh, some sort of visionary state is reported when you when you ingest this stuff, um, like this realm where happiness and joy and all kinds of things just kind of combine all the good, positive things mm-hmm. combine. And it's also where longing wishes are fulfilled. And some people believe that Soma could have been a psychedelic mushroom, maybe even Amanita. R. Gordon Wasson is a scholar who held this opinion. And in Food of the Gods, Terence McKenna says that a more likely candidate for Soma, due to its better efficacy at inducing psychedelic states, is uh, a different mushroom, the psilocybe cubensis. This is a mushroom that can grow in cow dung in certain climates, uh, which may explain why the cow has gained such a sacred status in the Hindu tradition. Mm. Um, but other academics claim that Soma was cannabis. You know, and I've actually had someone make Soma for me before, but it was not a hallucinogen. It was just this relaxing root. There's drug. also a pharmaceutical drug called Soma that's like a muscle relaxer or like an antipsychotic, I want to say. Oh, wow. I think Aldous Huxley rec- uh, references Soma yeah. in Brave New World. And just to confirm what I said before, Soma is, in fact, a drug on the market called Carisoprodol, um, and its brand name are Soma or Vanadum, and it's a muscle relaxer that can block pain to the nerves. So you might take it if you have a skeletal muscle issue, back injury, or the like. I just think it's interesting this term has persevered over the years. Uh, yeah, and in addition... There were other examples. The blue lotus flower was worshipped by the ancient Egyptian civilization, and it's now believed that this flower had some psychoactive properties itself. Maybe a little naturally occurring DMT. We've, we saw that uh, in our exploration of DMT, right? There are tons of plants that just contain it. Ah, yes. To everyone who's writing to us about DMT, we do have uh, an existing at least a video or two on it. Again, dimethyltryptamine, don't do drugs. Even though DMT naturally occurs in trace amounts in your own brain. But don't worry about that. Just keep on keeping on. And there are mushroom cults in Mesoamerica dating back to at least 1000 BC. Uh, these are indicated by mushroom stone effigies found in the Guatemalan highlands. In addition, frescoes from central Mexico also th- show signs of mushroom worship. Then we get to these things called mystery religions. Matt, that's right. The Eleusinian Mysteries were initiation ceremonies held every year for the cult of Demeter and Persephone in ancient Greece. And there was this drink called Kaikion. Spicy. (laughs) And it was consumed, uh, which the Iliad says was made up of barley, water, herbs, and goat cheese. That sounds disgusting. Mm -hmm. In the Odyssey, however, the character Circe adds a magic potion to it. And some people have speculated that the barley used in this drink was parasitized by ergot. That's a fungus uh, that is believed to be responsible for intense experiences people reported during these mystery initiations and rituals. And ergot contains ergotamine, which is a precursor to LSD. You've also maybe heard about this as a proposed cause for uh, St. Elmo's fire and mm-hmm. for the Salem witch trials. Yeah, and all kinds of other vampire panics throughout the United States history. And just to put this out there, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Go see The Witch. Go One of my favorite it. movies oh, of last year. It's so beautiful. In my opinion, this plays a part in that. It's up for debate, but cool movie. The, don't you mean The Vitch? The Vitch? <laughs> <laughs> it's titling is really cool. It's like two Vs. What is thou like to live deliciously? Yep. <laughs> Black Phillip! <laughs> oh, we haven't spoiled it, but we hope we've whetted your appetite for it. Write to us and let us know what you think about this movie, because we will literally sit around off air and talk about it. 
I actually saw it with um, co-worker and fellow podcaster Lauren Vogelbaum of Foodstuff fame. Uh, and But when it was over, we were both just kind of sat there looking at each other like, what? We saw something we weren't supposed to see. I watched it alone in my house in the dark with headphones on. And I was unnerved uh, in in the most spectacular way. I like to play it while I exercise. <laughs> Just watch The Witch while you work out. <laughs> yeah. That and The Shining. Mm. It just motivates. Me. I get it. I get uh, it. Well, well, that's we don't want to get too deep into the off-air stuff. But yes, The Witch is completely worth your time. So here we are with a cursory examination of this theory. Now, this, make no bones about it, this is very controversial. Some, indeed, found Allegro's exploration offensive. But it is, at this point, still uh, an exploration only. It's completely possible that psychoactive substances have played crucial roles in numerous religions. We know they have. We know they have. Ayahuasca, for instance. Mm -hmm. However... If this specific mushroom did play a role in the formation of fertility cults that later led to the Abrahamic religions, and if the priest of the time really did manufacture Jesus Christ as some sort of metaphor or code for these mushrooms, these plants, and these rituals, then they clearly failed to preserve their original meaning. Because as um, Noel, I think you pointed out earlier, the vast majority of Christians today do not believe this idea. And if preservation of these mysteries was the key, wouldn't the priest have wanted people to know? Unless that is, of course, the Catholic Church has a few very, very well-kept secrets, more than we suspect, up their sleeves, which I would be, I'm, I would be very surprised. But it's true, the Catholic Church has a lot of secrets. Those vaults, buddy. I was about to say, they've got like whole rooms that are just for secrets, right? Yeah. They're especially fitted to house various shapes and flavors of secrets. Now, just to be fair here, I think if these mystery religion cult leaders were trying to get all of this stuff down in this incredibly complex allegory, and they're doing mushrooms on a consistent basis, I think, I think if it's true, they did a pretty darn good job. Because, I mean, they're writing the thing. So a hat tip to you, <laughs> mystery, mystery religion, religion priests, <laughs> for keeping it together with a head full of dreams. That's right. <laughs> we want to hear from you. Have you have you explored this idea yourself? What's what's your take on this? Is this maybe um, just just a fringe theory where someone's just out there to be out there on the fringes? Is there something to it? Because again, those depictions, those, those paintings do have clear depictions of mushrooms, but is this author reading too much into it or is there something there? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on this, you guys. It, do you listening out there? Do you have any ideas or thoughts on this subject? I'm sure you do. Have you tried one of these substances and experienced something? Maybe don't write to us about that. Maybe that's a bad idea. No, right. That. No. Is that a bad idea? Well, of course it's not a bad idea. We will not compromise your identity, and if you wish, we will use an alias. And again, don't do it. But if you happen to find yourself into that position where you've happened to do it, it'd be cool to hear about it. Yeah, right? okay. That's okay. not being d irresponsible. We legally cannot tell you to do drugs. But if someone you know does, send us a message. Are we fired? Yep. This is probably the one. Speaking of messages, it's time for Shout Out Corners. So we received, uh, we received a lot of feedback on our earlier episode called, uh, Lake City Quiet Pills, mm -hmm. which is about a Reddit mystery. And we wanted to share with everyone some of the follow up correspondence we had, which really surprised us. We have one email that came to us through a blocker meaning that we were able to read it like a like what you would read an anonymous post. Uh, we do not know the identity of this person, which both means we cannot verify it, and we can't really make any, any definitive decisions, but we'd like to read it to you. 
Hello, stuff they don't want you to know. Long-time listener, though never expected to be reaching out, especially not like this. I had a bit of a personal revelation during your episode referencing Lake City Pills. More than 10 years ago, I walked in on my father visiting a jailbait pornographic website. I was aghast, and he screamed that we should never speak of it, which made perfect sense to me. However, I was terrified by what he was doing, so I installed a keylogger on his computer to determine if this was accidental on his part or if I needed to reach out to the authorities. Wow. The keylogger generated normal usage data uh, and rather generic pornographic terms late at night, only occasionally referencing the same jailbait site, old guys image hosting, and then followed by what at the time I felt was gibberish. I felt it was gibberish until I heard you three read the same sort of code out in the air on this podcast, and I immediately broke out into a cold sweat. There is additional information that ran home that my father was involved in this, though some of it uh, is too on the nose in its identification of those close to me to be even able to verify that information. Suffice to say, he went on far too many business trips for one in his position. I suppose I should also mention that though retired prior to 9-11, my father was a ranger, later a member of Delta. He came in during the 80s and spent extended time doing ground operations in the Middle East. I can still remember getting uh, letters from him with every word redacted aside from love dad at the bottom. I can also clearly remember Blackwater coming to recruit my father post 9-11, which was unnerving and unannounced. He refused their offer. My father has also gone on at length in private regarding the important role extrajudicial killings serve in keeping the relative peace in the world. He is very much in needs of the many, outweighs the needs of the few. I will not be able to receive any replies to this mailbox. I also apologize for not providing any proof to you, but it's an unnecessary risk for me. Thank you. It is strangely comforting to find out so many years later that my father is a murderer and not a pedophile. Sometimes bad people need a quiet pill so good people can sleep peacefully. Unsigned. Wow. Wow. Okay. Our, our second one, uh, our second piece of correspondence. Thank you to whoever that was. Um, second piece of I, correspondence. I, I think one reason, no need to comment on that because if you heard the episode, you understand what an amazing artifact that is. And we really do appreciate you sharing and shedding some light on the, this system that we talked about that we, we honestly, uh, yeah, that, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. If it is, you know, True, because we can't confirm or deny any right, of it. Right. Um, but let's move on. Our second piece of correspondence comes from someone who signs their letter T. And it says, to conspiracy. Hey guys, Dutch Milo was not part of a hit squad. He was associated with a military contracting service. He would get people in touch with a gentleman named Thomas Leahy, who after being removed from DPD, began recruiting for a company called Alpha Omega Security Solutions. Milo was friends with Alpha Omega because their operations in Central America led to a large amount of association in things that Milo had an interest, i.e. child porn. Ugh. Milo helped recruit and some people returned the favor. He did not die peacefully in his philosophy of some people being evil so they just needed to go was what ended up leading to his demise. Wow. And our final shout out today is for Ron B. Um, he says, I've been a fan of the podcast since the videos first started coming out and I was zapped temporarily off to a reality where it disappeared. When I finally made it back to this reality, I discovered that there was now an audio version, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. That's good to hear. Thank you. Um, I just got done listening to your crime, kidnapping, and organs, the Red Market episode, and I couldn't help but write about it. During the parts of the episode where the Oregon Trail was being discussed, I could not help but think of the game The Organ Trail. The game is done faithfully to the old-school Oregon Trail graphics and play style, but with zombies and a wood paneled station wagon in lieu of the covered wagons. It even has the first person you meet die of dysentery. Um, anything less would be a travesty. That's my line, not Ron B's. Keep up the good work. I look forward to the notifications that pop up in the app with each new episode. Oh, man, he even gets the notifications Whoa. on the app. Ron B, thanks. And speaking of that reality, with, vid- with lack of videos, what's what what's, what's it do, guys? We're back in the game. We're back in the game. You can expect more from us soon. You can also find our first long form documentary on the Georgia Guidestones that all three of us put a lot of effort in uh, for free on Amazon. Yeah, if you go to Amazon, search Guidestones or Etched in Secret. You could even search for Ben Bolin if you want to. Or Matt or, Frederick. Or Noel Brown. Yeah. And you'll find it. And this concludes. It's 
But not our show. We are going to head out and work on a number of things. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Do you have information about this topic that you think would illuminate your fellow listeners globally and unlimitedly <laughs> if so let us know you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram and you can write to us directly we are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at- 